chapter 19, is where we find ourselves today, verse 1. Oh, wait, before I get to that, uh, we have our, we never mention our offertory boxes, um, and, you know, shame on us, we, we should do it more frequently than we do. The pillars you see in the back are the offertory boxes uh, for your tithes and offerings. Today, if you care to donate, because um, someone asked me in between services, to, uh, to help people who are, uh, have been hit by the wildfires north of here. Um, a lot of our churches that are in our conference um, have been affected. Uh, you can get one of those envelopes that's on there, uh, on the pillars, and write um, wildfire uh, or bastrop or something like that, whatever you comes to mind and put it in there if you would like to to give a special offering to that today. Um, So Matthew 19, verse 1 is where we are. After Jesus had finished saying these things, he left Galilee and went southward to the region of Judea into the area east of the Jordan River. Vast crowds followed him there and he healed their sick. Some Pharisees came and tried to trap him with this question. Should a man be allowed to divorce his wife for any reason? Haven't you read the scriptures, Jesus replied. The record, they record that from the beginning, God made them male and female. And he said, this explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife and the two are united into one. Good morning. Since they are no longer... Wow. Uh, since they are no longer two... You just came in Jesus' words. Uh, since they are no longer two but one, let no one separate them. For God has joined them together then... Then why did Moses say a man could merely write an official letter of divorce and send her away, they asked. Jesus replied, Moses permitted divorce as a concession to your hard-hearted wickedness. But it was not what God had originally intended. And I'll tell you this, a man who divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery unless his wife has been unfaithful. Here's what's going on during the time of now. The Pharisees come. What I find interesting here is the, verse, the first part, Jesus is healing people. The Pharisees are like, yeah, that's cool and all, but let's try to get you with the question. Here's the question. The thing about it is there is a great debate going on during that time about the legalities of divorce. What was permissible to divorce someone for and what was not? Kind of similar to today a lot of times in Christian circles. Was it right to divorce somebody or was it not? What were the grounds on which you could ask for a divorce? Now, a couple of things. One, the Jews held marriage very highly. Um, You married early. You had children. Thus, um, going along with one of the positive commands of God, be fruitful and multiply. Uh, So there's a big deal around marriage. There were two camps about divorce from Rabbi Shammai was one camp. Rabbi Hillel was another camp. Rabbi Shammai held that only for adultery could you get a divorce. No other reason. Once you are married, the only way divorce can happen is through, is from an act of adultery. Rabbi Hillel was a little bit more liberal. Okay. A lot more liberal. He believed the adultery thing. Yes. He also said, uh, because uh, in scripture it says, should, um, uh, or uh, the, somewhere it says, should the t- uh, wife displease the husband? Um, so Hillel took that to go with, you know, should she wear her hair unkempt? You can get a divorce. So bad hair day, ladies. 
They're saying, spend a little extra time in the morning, okay? Should you burn your meal? Should she burn your meal? You're done. Divorce. Should you talk to another man in the streets? Done. Divorce. He held a a, a very big uh, liberal birth for this divorce thing. Now, divorce could only be undertaken by a man. A woman could never ask for a divorce. It was a man who could. And a man would simply take a piece of paper, write on the piece of paper, I am divorced of you or something to that effect, hand it to the woman, done. There's no legal process. There's no drawn out thing. There's no dividing of things. That's it. One of the social like things to kind of prevent divorce was that a man, should there be no real just cause seen by the council, had to repay the dowry to the woman's family. So there's all this going on, this debate between the two camps. The majority of people believe in Hillel's version. The majority of people went with Hillel. So the Pharisees, knowing this whole debate, are trying to get Jesus to enter into the debate of the day. And he says, no. Let's go back to what Moses says. What does Moses say? Let's go back to what God originally intended for us. Now, there's a lot that's packed in here. There's a, lot of, there's a lot of law. There's a lot of tradition. There's a lot of hurt that comes in this passage. There's a lot of suffering that comes when people read this passage. And I had intended to get in there and let's deal with it. But today is a different day. Today is a day where we remember another kind of suffering and another kind of hurt. One that may not have affected us directly personally, but it affected all of us. Of course, I speak of the events 10 years ago. How many of you remember where you were on that day, what you were doing? Yeah, I was in class in seminary at TCU. And I had gotten there early, I had an early class, and they come in, and they stopped class and said, something's happened, we don't exactly know what's going on, but the campus has been shut down. Everyone go home. So I went home. I turn on the television. I'm listening to the radio on the way home, and I'm hearing these things, and I can't believe it. And I I turn on the TV, and um, Jenna is at school and teaching. And so it was just me and, and our dog, Bailey, and... We're sitting there watching the Today Show's coverage of this horrific event. And it just rocked me to my core. And I, I remember going over to, we have a, an, old, um, an old Bible, big, you know, one of those big Bibles, and a stand for it. And I went over to it and I knelt before it and I just started praying. And I didn't even know what to pray for. But I just started talking to God. It was a momentous event. One that we, my generation at least, had not experienced anything like it. So Psalm 46, if you have your Bibles, open up to that. This is something we were talking about in pastors meeting this week and what David is preaching on today and 
And I'm going down this path of marriage and divorce and Matthew 19 and all this stuff. But as we're speaking about this as a group of pastors and they're talking about Psalm 46 and in fear and hurt and all that, I'm like, this goes together. So let's go. Psalm 46. God is our refuge and strength. Always ready to help in times of trouble. So we will not fear. Even if the earthquakes come and the mountains crumble into the sea, let the oceans roar and foam. Let the mountains tremble as the waters surge. A river brings joy to the city of our God, the sacred home of the Most High. God himself lives in that city. It cannot be destroyed. God will protect it. The break of day. The nations are in an uproar. Kingdoms crumble. God thunders and the earth melts. The Lord Almighty is here among us. The God of Israel is our fortress. Come see the glorious works of the Lord. See how he brings destruction upon the world and causes wars to end throughout the earth. He breaks the bow and snaps the spear in two. He burns the shields with fire. Be silent and know that I am God. I will be honored by every nation. I will be honored throughout the world. The Lord Almighty is here among us. The God of Israel is our fortress. When you suffer some great momentous trouble, it is easy to tailspin. When you are delivered a, a diagnosis of cancer, it is easy to spin out of control. When your marriage of 15 years falls apart, it is easy to spin out of control. When your country and your security is attacked, it is easy to spin out of control and to get lost and hurt and fear. But God is our refuge, it says, our fortress. We will not fear. See, the thing about uh, divorce is a lot of times what happens is, is you have this couple. I've never married a couple that in our premarital counseling sessions, they've gone, you know, this is great, but we're really looking forward to the divorce. Dinah, you ever done that? No. Yeah, no, never, never once have I come to a premarital counseling session and they're like, hey, can we talk about, we can talk about the ceremony in a second. Can we talk about the divorce that's going to come in five years? Because that's what we're really looking forward to. Nobody gets married with the intention of getting divorced. Okay, 99.9% of the people. Don't do that. I'll let you fill in your own Pamela Anderson joke. I, I would say that... Most people go into this wanting the best and hoping and, and seeing just the beauty of the moment and the life and the hope that comes in the future of this relationship and all these things. And so when divorce happens, it's painful. It's painful. There are some instances where it is not as painful, but for the most part, there's hurt, there's anguish, there's suffering, there's fear. Fear about what's coming next. Fear about the loss of maybe children. Fear about the loss of status. Fear about the loss of reputation. Fear about the loss of something that once was solid. Fear about whatever. And so when we get into this moment and this tailspin of hurt and suffering, what we tend to do is we lash out at one another. In fear, we lash out. Some of you have been through divorce. Some of you know people who have gone through divorce. Most of the times it's not pretty. Some are less than others, but it's tough. And so we find ourselves reeling in this sense of hurt and suffering and fear. 
I was afraid on September 11th. A fear of the unknown. What's happening? Has our entire world shifted to such a degree that I no longer want to bring children into it? One of the things that David said this morning was, the presence of evil and tragedy does not negate the presence of God. Just because tragedy has happened does not mean God was absent. Just because a marriage fails for whatever reason does not mean God was not and is not there. Just because our country was attacked in a horrific way does not mean that God wasn't there. Just because there are people north of us that are suffering greatly because of wildfires and have lost everything does not mean that God isn't there. Just because there are people all around Texas who are experiencing loss of water, their wells are running dry, doesn't mean that God isn't there. Evil exists in the world. Tragedy exists in the world. We all go through those moments. But God is there. God is our fortress. God is our refuge. God surrounds us in his love. And when we sit down and collapse on the ground crying and sobbing out of fear, out of loss, out of suffering, out of hurt, out of pain, God collapses beside us and is crying just as hard. God is a God who loves us so much that he doesn't let us be. He's with us. But see, we forget that. We forget that. And when these momentously painful events happen, we want to move on from them as quickly as possible. I remember the, the days and weeks and months following 9-11, the talk of it will shape a generation. This act that will shape my generation and the generation below me. And this week as we're discussing all of this, I'm like, I don't really think it did. I don't wake up every day and remember. I haven't changed the I get on flights all the time. Don't think twice about it. I've been to New York multiple times since then. There are things that shape us, that should shape us, but we don't let them. I see my generation and the generation below us and, and I see us moving at such a speed, at, at such a, a ferventness, if that's a word, that, that we just move on from one thing to the next. And we're looking for what's coming instead of being where we are or remembering where we've been. We move so quickly through things that we don't allow them to shape us. And so I think we've lost an identity. We've lost an opportunity to, for God, the, the potter, to come and to mold us into something magnificent. Because we're too busy moving on to the next thing. I mean, you, you look at one of the biggest celebrities of our day, and I was just celebrating my mom's 70th birthday. Um, my dad took us all to Las Vegas because when your mother turns 70, that's where you go. <laughs> Apparently. <laughs> I know, my, Jenna and I are walking around going, I don't know what to do here. Um, 
and so one of, there was these huge, it was Labor Day weekend, so it was packed, and every, every little hotel and resort was having some big event. And one of the hotels where I saw these billboards everywhere was uh, the host of this big event was Snooky. How many of you know who Snooky is? The Jersey Shore. Yeah, I know. Y'all, no, no one raised your hand really high because you don't really like people to know that you actually know who that is. But that sense of where have we been in the last 10 years? Think about how things are so different. Have they, has, that, has that event shaped us at all? The way that Pearl Harbor and World War II shaped the generations above us. I don't think it has, and I think it's because we move so quickly that we forget to remember. We forget to remember the momentous events in our lives that can shape us into who God longs for us to be. We forget that verse, be still and know that I am God. Be silent. That's my translation. And know that I am God. A better translation might be stop it. Stop what? It. Whatever you're doing. Stop it. I'm praying to you, God. I know. I like that, but not now. Stop it. God, I'm worshiping you. That's great. I love it. I love your voice. Every time you sing, you can't hit a note, but I love the times that you sing to me because it's joy-filled. And I love it. But right now, stop it. Stop what you're doing. See, we always talk about these quiet times and having these moments of prayer. and all. Sometimes we just need to stop. And no. Daryl said that he just finished his paper for one of his doctoral level papers that he is writing. And he said, I wasn't going to bore you with it, but from your first service, it seems like you've been reading my paper and delivering a whole bunch of stuff. Like I broke into your computer. So one of the things he learned there is that no, that no is not just a no, it's a, it's an experience. It's an experience thing to know who God is, to know that God is. And we can't do that if we're moving from one thing to the next, 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 so quickly. When we're always attached to something, be it a phone or a computer or television. We have to stop. The first time this is used in Scripture is when Moses is leading the people out of Egypt. They've been captives for generations, and now God has freed them, and they're coming to the Red Sea. And God says, be still and watch. You can do nothing right here. So just stop and know that I am God. How often do we do that? See, the Jews were great a lot of times in remembering who God is. Now, there are moments, if you remember, in their 40 years of exile that they forget. And God comes down on them. Hey, remember me? Remember the whole sea thing? Yeah, pretty big deal, huh? Who did that? Raise your hand. Nobody. Me. Be still. Stop it. And no. Remember. Remember these momentous events where you were captive and I brought you to freedom. 
Remember these events where you had no water, no food, and I provided for you. I am God. You are not. These events should shape us. These events should change us into a realization that we're not God. Be it divorce or cancer or fire or drought or attack. We want to move on so quickly from them. The pain hurts. Yeah, you bet it does. Someone in between services came up to me and said, you know, I I think you need to see it from the other viewpoint where God gives us the ability to forget this pain. Because if you didn't forget the pain of grace, you wouldn't have had Corbin. And he meant it in a loving way. He really did. And I sat there for a second. I let it sink in me. I went, thank you. And he walked off. And then I went, no. The fact that I can remember the pain that we've been through with grace. I don't want to forget that pain. Because that's what allows me to reach out to someone who's going through it right now. Man, we're on a mountaintop with grace. I don't know how many of you saw her sitting up here quietly in Jenna's lap during worship. That doesn't happen. She said the word triangle at school. What's your first word? Triangle. Why not? (laughs) What's your second word? Discombobulate. You know? (laughs) And I love these moments, and I love the place we are with her. It's glorious and wonderful, and things are great. But I can't forget. Because if I forget... I lose who God's made me. If I forget where I have been, I miss so much of what God wants to teach me and to use to bring glory to other people, to bring his glory to other people. If we forget where we have been, we will have lost so much. The pain is tough. Yes. Some of you are going through pain right now that I can't even imagine. And in the middle of it, you just want it to stop. And I get that. And so I pray that God would bring you through this time. That God would send brothers and sisters in the family to surround you with his love. And to bring blessing upon you so that you may come out of this valley. And once again, be able to reach back down for someone else. I know about losing my home. I just did. I know about losing my job. I went through that. I know about being divorced. I was there. I know about losing a spouse. Let me hold you now. How many times do you actually just stop? Not pray. Not write. Not read. Just Stop it. And know who God is. I challenge all of us on this day when there will be remembrances about 9-11 and the men and women who died, the men and women who continue to suffer from some ailment, the family members. 
it'll be all over television today. There will be moments of silence, I'm sure, in every NFL game across the board. Trivial, patronizing, maybe some of it. But for those of us who believe in someone greater, it's an opportunity to stop and to allow events of the past to shape us into who God wants us to be in the future. Be still and know that he is God. Let us pray. Gracious and Heavenly Father, we thank you that during our times of sorrow, you don't leave us. During our times of struggling, you don't forget us. Instead, you stand beside us. You reach out to us and hold us in your arms. God, I pray that you would help all of us to remember to have moments to be still and know that you are God. God, I pray for all those who suffer this day from the remembrance of September 11th, that you would bring them peace. God, I pray for all who suffer from the loss of homes, of security from the fires in Texas, that you would shower them with blessing, that you would help them to rebuild their lives on you. God, I pray for those who are experiencing loss of wells, their very lively drinking water, Lord, that you would bring rain. We cry out, Lord. We cry out for your presence. We cry out for your spirit. We cry out for your mercy, God. Be with us this day and all days. Amen.